So uh, this year, first year, I think my wife and I were trying to count, I think first time in like 10 years, uh, her and I stayed up past midnight on New Year's Day. Uh, it was like, it was just weird, first time we made it. Um, honestly, though, it's because we were flying out to Atlanta, and with the time change, it was only 9 o'clock our time, but it was still midnight, you know, we're like, wow, that's pretty cool, we made it uh, to 9 o'clock. Um, but we had the, the just an amazing week. I don't know what your New Year has been like so far, but uh, this last week for me, it's it's one of those weeks where you want to explain it, you want everyone to feel what you felt, and I just go, there's there's no way. Um, I was in Atlanta, and uh, we we're in Phillips Arena. Phillips Arena is where the Atlanta Hawks play. It's it's very similar to the Staples Center. It looks like the Staples Center, except it doesn't have any banners that say World Champions. It, <laughs> you know, uh, but the building, you know, looks and feels the same way. And I don't know if you remember a couple years ago when, when someone invited me to a playoff game, the Laker, Lakers against San Antonio, and I talked about just being close to the floor and the rush of that stadium, you know, when everyone's just going nuts at the end of the game and, and, and just thinking at that moment, wow, this is the loudest place on the planet right Right now, and then leaving there a little disappointed, thinking, "Wow, that's pretty sad." That as God looks down on the earth, the most exciting place on the earth is is due to a guy putting a ball in a cylinder, you know, and thinking, "Wow, what if one day I could just be in a place like this where there's even more noise and they're worshiping God?" And you guys, that's what it was this week. Um, twenty-four thousand college students. Picture twenty-four thousand college students and if one thing college students know how to do it's make noise okay and all in unison worshiping god as loud as they can screaming their heads off singing to god in fact they didn't even fit in phillips arena and so there had to be seven thousand of them in a in the world congress center as at a satellite service i mean it was just unbelievable and I don't know that I've ever been so scared to step up on a stage, you know, just heart pounding, just, you know, you're, you're worshiping, you're just lost in the moment and then to walk up in front of this crowd because the whole time I'm thinking, what if, what if really at the end of this week, 24,000 college students walked out of this arena and really surrendered their lives to God? I mean, what would the earth look like if that many college students just walked out and said, okay, God, anything, I'll do anything for you. And so I'm just feeling that intensity in the moment. And it's crazy because as I was talking about that the other service, Tim, who's leading worship, told me the week before he was in St. Louis with another group of college students of 23,000 over where the Rams play, you know, for the Urbana conference, which is a missions conference, same type of experience. And you're just going, man, there are just thousands and thousands of college students right now, this next generation of believers that are not casual about their faith. I mean, they're just surrendering and saying, God, whatever you want me to do. I don't know what that does for you, but for me, I just go, oh, I'm just so excited to see what God does through this next generation. It fires me up. And, and, and even on that last day, you know, uh, of that conference, when we asked how many of these students of the 24,000, how many of you believe that God has called you overseas and you're committing to go overseas somewhere to tell people about Jesus and about a third of them stood up and we started praying for these people and you're just thinking, wow, 8,000 going to the ends of the earth, you know, and, and, and the rest of us supporting them. What, what a huge, huge moment because just try to imagine what the earth would look like with that many thousands of college students just infiltrating the earth. I mean, just in that conference I was at alone, there were 24,000 and there were representatives from 1,300 different universities. And uh, they're just going, you know what? We, we want to change the world. We want to we wanna bring glory to Jesus Christ. And you just go, wow, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. But then I started thinking as I, I come back here and think about this weekend, I go, what if just at Cornerstone Church, what would it look like if all 4,000 people, three to 4,000 people this weekend, what would it look like if everyone left this building and they were completely surrendered to God? Where they go, okay, God, whatever you want me to do today, whoever you want me to talk to. Imagine that number of people in one city 
If they were all surrendered to God, willing to do and say whatever God led them to do, just for one week, even even just for one week, we were completely surrendered to God, what would take place in this one city? Just try to picture that in your mind. Thousands of people leaving a building and then just going and doing whatever God led them to do. To love whomever he called them to love. To give to whomever he called them to, to give to. To talk to whoever he wanted us to talk to. Like the impact we could have if we were completely surrendered even for a week. I want to, as we're starting this year, I want to talk about this, this idea of surrendering ourselves to God. And, and so often when we talk about surrendering ourselves and say, okay, God, whatever you want, it's typically spoken of as a negative thing, like a scary thing. Like, and I, I go through it too. I go, okay, God, can I really say wherever you want me to go and do whatever you want me to do, say whatever you want me to say? There's a sense of fear and it's spoken of as this negative thing. And yet the truth is, is, is the reason why we think of it negatively is we forget about what our God is like. And we forget that he's a father. And my wife and I had this discussion this week that we've had several times where we go, gosh, wouldn't it be so cool if arranged marriages were still in? I mean, as a parent, you think that way, right? Like, that'd be so cool. I mean, I know I could pick a good one. You know, for each of my daughters, I would pick better than they would. You know, I mean, you would hate it as a, as a kid. But as parents, we know now that it's a good idea. And... uh <laughs> But we were talking about that, like, oh, I'd love to arrange her marriage. I know exactly who'd be right for her and her and her and him. You know, we already got it figured out, even though he's only one. You know, <laughs> we, we got, but, but that whole concept of what if they gave us control? What if, what if my kids gave me control and said, dad, whatever you want me to do this week, I'll do it. Just, just let me know what you think would be best for me. Okay, what would I do? Would I then just do everything I could to make sure she had a miserable week? No, of course not. You know, I would be thinking so much about it. I'm so crazy about these kids. And it's like, wow, I would do everything. And sure, there'd be times I would take them through some more difficult experiences to strengthen them, everything else. But man, everything would be for their good. I'm crazy about them. And what helps me with God's will is that passage where God says, look, if you, as earthly parents, being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your kids, then how much more your heavenly father Who's perfect? Okay, if I have enough love to, to, to try to make my kids' life wonderful if they handed over their lives to me, then imagine God who loves me a lot more than I love my kids. And He's perfect. He's not going to mess up. He's not going to make any mistakes. Then shouldn't there, if we have that type of trust, shouldn't it be a thing that we're excited about as far as surrendering our lives and saying, wow, I can surrender my life to a God like that. Before we jump into the word, we're about to open up God's word. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Are you surrendered to this book right now? In other words, have you made a commitment coming in this morning that you will do whatever I read from this book before even hearing what I'm about to read? Can you surrender yourself beforehand right now and say, okay, whatever, whatever he reads out of this book, I will do. See, because I don't think most people come into the church with that mentality. They come in with, well, let me hear it first, right? It's kind of like when, if I'm in the lobby and I go, hey, can you do me a favor? What are you going to say? <laughs> what is it? Right? Because you don't trust me and I don't blame you. You, you know, you, you don't know, you don't know what I'm going to ask and how big the commitment is. And when I go, hey, can you do me a favor? You're going to say, well, what, what is it? You guys, and that's fine. I mean, we do that to each other and that's, that's okay. What's not okay is when we do that with God's word. When you come in and, and I say, hey, will you submit to whatever it says? And you go, well, well, what is it? That's not okay. That's not surrendering and submitting yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ and saying, no, whatever this book says, I will do. And so my question again this morning, I'm about to read a, a passage from this book. Are you going to do it no matter what it says? Or do you want to hear first? It's pretty crazy. 
But what God wants is a group of people every week that walks in this room and say, I surrender all. So I don't even need to ask what it is because I've already surrendered all. And I trust him. He's a loving father. He's not going to ask me to do something that's not for my good. His will is better than mine. His plan is better than mine. I trust him completely. If that's you, then let's look at the passage. James chapter 4. See, because if it's not you, then you've never really given your life to the Lord. You've never really surrendered to his lordship. You're only surrendering in as much as it, it agrees with you, right? It's like, well, if I like it too, and, and we set limits on what we'll give to God, but that's not what the word Lord means. Lord means master. You say it, I do it. James chapter 4, verse 11. It says this, Brothers, do not slander one another. Okay, that's coming from God. I didn't alter it. I didn't do anything with the text. Brothers, do not slander one another. You willing to come under that? Want to submit to that? Saying, okay, you know what? I've been slandering people, but now I heard from God himself. He doesn't want me to slander anyone. I'm not going to do it. What does it mean to slander? Slander means to criticize someone with the intention of lowering other people's view of that individual. It's the whole idea that you're saying something against another person. And I know when we come to this phrase, slander, we will sit on the idea of deception. And we'll go, well, you know, doesn't slander imply that you're lying about the person? And I didn't really lie about them. Everything I said about them was true. And we'll kind of rest and go, did I say anything that was false? You guys, that's not the thrust of this word. The thrust of this word is in its prefix, which is the word kata in the Greek, which means against. It's a whole idea of speaking something that is against another individual. It's actually criticizing him. It's something where, where you're against him. And so when you speak about him or her, it makes other people's opinion of that person get lower. And the Bible says as believers, we are not supposed to allow anything out of our mouths that is destructive. It says in Ephesians 4.29, not to let any unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. Only that which is useful for building others up, that it benefits those who listen. We are not to tear down and be against. We are supposed to be building up. Now, there are times when you may need to go up to someone and say some difficult things, some hard words, confront them on certain things. But again, your whole point is you're for them. You're not against them. You're saying, I just think if you do these things, this is what God wants. And I'm trying to help you build you up. But when we slander, when you and I talk about people in a negative way, it doesn't do any good for anyone. It's not building anyone up. All it's doing is tearing someone down um, in, in, in their estimation. And so here, what the word of God says is do not slander. Could we have a year at Cornerstone where there's no gossip? Wouldn't that be amazing? If you just had a confidence that no one in that church is going to say anything negative about me. No one's going to put me down. No one's going to lower other people's view of me. It's a safe place because those people surrender themselves to the word of God and they heard that they're not supposed to slander. Man, that would be beautiful, wouldn't it? Man, I I would love to pastor a church one day where I just knew, you know what? The congregation, they're not going to say negative things about me. They won't, they won't say negative about the leadership. Man, what a rush that would be, you know? And what a rush to be a part of an organization like that. God's saying, you know what, let's, let's do this. Don't slander one another. And then he says, anyone who speaks against, again, remember, this is the whole idea of speaking against his brother. It emphasizes this term brother. It's actually used several times. This whole idea of this is your brother you're speaking against. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Okay, this is weird. I'll tell you, when I first read this, I didn't get it. Okay, he says, when you slander someone, then you are, first he explains that you are speaking against the law. Okay, what does he mean by that? Earlier in James chapter 2, verse 8 He refers to the royal law. He goes, there's the royal law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus said this is the second greatest commandment. You can sum it all up. I love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matt talked about that last week. Now, the idea of slander, the sin of it, is not in the lying. It's in the lack of love. In order to slander someone, in order to to bring someone down, you can't love them at the same time. You're breaking the royal law. Now, and I began to understand that and go, okay, so I'm breaking God's law, which tells me to love that person as much as I love myself. Okay, understand something. For some of you in this room, you've got some bitterness. You've got some negative feelings towards certain people on this planet. And as I say that, certain faces are coming to mind. And you're thinking about people that you've spoken negatively of. Whenever their name comes up, you don't have the most positive things to say about them. The scriptures, they are not asking you to watch your mouth. They are not saying, bite your tongue. Be careful what you say about this person. What the scripture is saying is you're breaking the royal law which is love that person as much as you love yourself. Okay, your prayer when we leave today should not be, God, help me not to say anything negative about that person. Your prayer ought to be, God, help me to genuinely love that person from my heart. You willing to pray that? You willing to say, God, I I, I want to get rid of all of any animosity. I want to love this person because when i love this person i will naturally speak nothing but positive nothing but things that will build this person up you're breaking the law of god and and the phrase that really i I really struggled with it was this idea of you judging the law because you judge the law isn't that a strange phrase Not only is you're breaking the law, I can understand breaking the law, but he says, and you're judging God's law. You're sitting in judgment over God's law. What does he mean by that? Understand this. When you break a law on a regular basis, you are implying that you don't believe that that's a good law for you to be under, right? I mean, for example, in some churches, not ours, but in some churches, there are people who break the speed limit. I know. Can you, uh, those people. And uh, now, but when you, and there's some pastors that do it, I've heard. And uh, when you, though, when you break the speed limit on a regular basis, okay, think about this. When you break it on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Gerlach. When you, <laughs> when you break the speed limit on a regular basis, what are, what are we doing? We are looking at a law, we're looking at 55 miles an hour and going, 55, that's ridiculous. You know, like that, that, that's not for me. We're judging, we're going, well, not for me. I can understand how that's a good law for other people, but I have some skills in driving <laughs> that the normal person doesn't have. And so now suddenly you're going, well, you know, that's good for them and grandma and everyone else. But you're sitting there and rather than just saying, wow, that's the law, I'll do it. You're sitting there and going, well, you know, that's good for them. And you, you just you're you're going, I don't know if it's good for me. And the Bible's saying you really you're sitting in judgment over it. And that's what happens. I've done it. I do it. And I go, well, you know, it doesn't really mean that. Could it really mean that? I mean, what's the spirit on and on and on? And the truth is, is when you don't submit to it, you really are judging it. You're criticizing it. And this is very popular with God's law nowadays, where people want to look at something that's absolutely written, black and white, there is in Scripture, and we want to go, well, but does God really mean don't slander anyone? I mean, what if, I mean, does he, you know, he understands there's certain things this person has done to me. You know, I mean, my hurt runs a lot more deep than everyone else's in this room. And we start to question. And well, could God really limit my sexual activity? Can he really limit my thoughts in this area? Is he really free? You know, can he really say that I cannot divorce this person? I mean, you know, and we start rather than just going, wow, that's what he says. I'll do it. We start sitting in judgment. 
and going, man, can God really do that? Can he really say that? Is that what he really means? And when we break something habitually, such as slandering someone, rather than sitting under his law and being, you know, under it, we are sitting in judgment over it. And what the Bible says in verse 12, he goes, listen, there's only one. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. He goes, first of all, he goes, there's only one. I mean, who, why, why do you get to judge the law? He goes, there's a bunch of, there's this earth and there's a bunch of little people on this planet. Then there's this one being who made the earth and made the rules. He goes, that's it. It's just him. It's all up to him. He can destroy the world. He can save the world. He can make the rules of this world. But it's all up to him. That's it. He's the only one that should be sitting in judgment of the law. And then he asks a great question. I love this question at the end of verse 2. There's one lawgiver, one judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you? Oh, that's a great question. Who are you? Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. Who are you? You, you're, You're questioning one of God's commands? Who, who are you? Wait, and why do you think that you have the right or the freedom to question what God has spoken? Listen, I know we live in a free country, freedom of speech. And so we'll just speak and say, and we'll throw out our opinion. And the Bible goes, why are you even talking? Who are you and why do you think your opinion is so great? I mean, so, so there's this eternal God who's had this plan from eternity past, who's always existed. And then right about here, he makes the world. He makes this little planet, puts some rules, and then all these people exist for this period of time. And now, you know, here it is, 2007, and you come on the scene and speak up. And judge what this eternal God has decreed, who already knows the future, knows all the past, but you, who are you? Did you ever stop and ask yourself this question, who do I think I am? That I throw my opinion out there so freely, like it matters. Like I can judge God's law and question his commands rather than just being quiet and submitting to him. And not only that, not only is he questioning the idea of questioning the law lawgiver, but he says, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you? Who do you think you are that you can look at another, a fellow human being, and somehow you are superior to them? Okay, what makes you think that you are superior to another human being? That you could criticize someone else. Well, no, it's, it's just, just answer that. Why is it that you're greater? Because I'll confess, I think I'm better than some people. <laughs> I just do. Sometimes I'll look at someone and I'll go, you don't have a clue. Don't go looking at me like I'm the only one that does this. Okay? I, I'm confessing. There are times when I will just assume you know what i'm superior and the bible's question is why do you think that who are you yeah i see this little planet with just a bunch of people bunch of sinners bunch of people that have offended god and yet this one thinks that he can judge and speak negatively about another person what what is it that makes him think he's better than that person is it is it intelligence is it if 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 i'm more intelligent than the next guy then i have the right to judge them is that what it is? Is it success? You know, so those of you who have been successful in business and you make some money, so suddenly you're, 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 you're greater? Is it spirituality? I mean, what is it that allows one human being to think that he's superior to another so he can speak negatively about them and say, he's wrong, I'm right? Rather than having the humility of going, man, I don't know, we disagree, who knows who's right? I'm just another human being, I'm just another person walking this planet. I'm just trying to submit to whatever he says. Who are you to judge your neighbor? So can we do that? Can we uh, 
have a year where we don't judge each other and we don't slander each other and we don't say negative things about other people so that we can lift ourselves up to say that we're right, they're wrong. And can we just let wholesome words come out of our mouths that build each other up? That doesn't mean we don't confront because right after James says that, he confronts them. Uh, The next two words when he says, now listen, these are very biting words. It's like an interjection. It's like, I'm about to ream you. It's about, okay, listen to what I'm about to say. And, and I love this verse, and, and, and you'll, you'll see why. He says, now listen, you who say. He's, in, 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 he's confronting those who would say a statement like this. Today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Okay, he's confronting the person, and I thought, man, this is so cool. Because we're just going through James, right? And, uh, and, and we didn't preach James 4, 1 through 10 because Matt had just preached that a few months ago. And so we have that DVD available. And so what, what passage fell on today, the first weekend of the year, is when God speaks to the people who have made plans for the year. And God says, now listen, those of you who say, here's what I'm going to do in 2007. I'm going to live in this city. I'm going to work this job. I'm probably going to make about X amount of dollars. And God says to those people, you better listen to what I have to say. It's the person who speaks with arrogance, the person who says, you know what, I've planned out 2007. I kind of have a direction for it. And you don't think about the sovereignty of God and the fact that God has control. Just to say, here's what I'm going to do in 2007 is so arrogant because you're assuming you have 2007. And so James here goes, now listen up, listen up, you guys who are making plans for the year. Verse 14, he says, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. He goes, you're planning out the year when you, little human being on the planet, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Do you guys know what's going to happen on Monday? What if we took out pieces of paper right now and pens and just started writing down what's going to take place in your life tomorrow? And we just told God, God, here's what I'm going to do tomorrow. I dare you. (laughs) I mean, if we wrote down what we thought was going to take place on Monday and brought it before the Lord, I think tomorrow night we'd be surprised when we looked at that piece of paper. Because if we were honest, we would all sit in this room and go, okay, he's right. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Monday could change my life drastically. It could be a wonderful day. It could be one of the most difficult days and yet still be wonderful. Proverbs 27, 1 says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You have no clue what tomorrow may be. Don't go bragging about tomorrow. Now, most of us recognize that right now, right? You recognize you have no control over tomorrow, but we still make assumptions, right? And we just kind of assume, I've assumed what's going to happen tomorrow. And what the Bible says is uh, right after that, he goes, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. Then he says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So the Bible goes, not only do you not know what's going to happen tomorrow, he goes, you don't even know if there's going to be a tomorrow for you. He goes, it's one thing to assume what's going to happen tomorrow. You've got to understand, you can't even assume that there's going to be tomorrow for you here on the earth. He goes, you're like a mist. He goes, do you understand how fragile your life is? He goes, you're like a mist. You're like steam. You ever see steam come off a kettle? It's there. You see it. And then boom, it disappears. He goes, that's you. That's your life on this earth. You're like steam. Picture steam. Everyone sees it. It's gone. This isn't the only place in the Bible. The Bible uses the illustration of of, of a shadow. You're like a shadow. The shadow isn't permanent. It's just there. Then boom, it's gone. He says, your life is like a cloud. It uses the phrase, a cloud. The idea of, wow, there's a cloud. Boom, it's gone. The Bible uses the expression of a breath. Like you ever see your breath in the, in, in the cold air? You know, it's there and you see it and then boom, it's over. He goes, that is your life on earth. So if you think you're anything more than that and you're making plans for tomorrow, let me remind you, you're steam, you're mist, you're vapor, you're a breath, you're a cloud, you're a shadow. 
he is making it clear that our lives on earth, the way God designed it, is that they are very transitory at best. Our lives on earth are not secure. They wasn't meant to be. We're supposed to live life knowing that I'm just, I'm just a mist. I'll just appear for a little bit and then whenever God decides, I'm gone. And, and I know this isn't the first, you guys know, I talk about this a lot, right? I, I'll make comments like, look, you don't know that you're going to live through the rest of the day. And I will continue to make comments like this because there is no way that I can prepare you enough for the shock of when it happens. There's no way. I, I, I can't prepare myself enough. Yesterday, I was freaking out about it again. Going, man, what is that moment going to be like? Like at that moment, boom, my life on earth is over. Think about all the things that would run through your head. Like, I can't go back to do this. This is, it's over. So what really mattered about my life? I mean, at that moment and now suddenly, boom, there's God. I'm standing before God, life on earth. I will never go back to that. Boom, I am before him. What is that moment going to feel like? You think I can over-exaggerate that moment? You think I can exaggerate just how huge that is? I don't think anything will prepare us enough for that moment. We just got to recognize it's coming. Because I'm just a mist. I'm a vapor. It's just going to happen. And he says, because of that, rather than living and planning and going, I'm going to do this, going to do that, verse 15, he says, instead... You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. What's the proper response to the fact that God is in control? To recognize that he's in control every moment. Instead, what I ought to say, he says, is if God allows me, if God wants, I will live and do this or that. He goes, that's what that's the way I ought to live life right now. Is that every moment with everything that you and I do, we have to recognize that we're not in control and God is. I'm about to walk back to that music stand. And it is entirely up to God whether or not he wants me to make it to that music stand. It's totally up to him. I don't have control over this. He has to give me another breath. He, right now, there's a being in heaven who's watching. And he determines whether or not I make it back to that music stand. Do you recognize that? Do you really believe that? That I can't make myself get over there. It's totally up to God. Whether or not I make it. Is he going to give me another Are you going to give me another breath? Are you going to allow me to take another step, God? Any moment, any moment. It's all up to you. Everything's under your control. It's if you want it, I'm going to get back there. I just got a couple more steps left, but I I can't assume that I'm going to get there on my own strength. It's like, okay, okay, God, you you had that. You're in control. You had me live through that for four services now. I keep thinking, no, because I seriously think, what a great illustration that would be. Uh, And can you imagine? And you were. I mean, weren't some of you just, you were watching every service. They're like, wow, you don't know. You don't know. You really don't. Like, it's completely under his control. My wife hates that illustration. (laughs) You know? It's just this whole thought of, really, I am under that much control. And the Bible says that's how I ought to live my life. I have to say, okay, God, if you will, if you want it, then I'll live. And I'll be able to walk. I I, got to live that way. When I was working through this yesterday morning, I started praying. You know, thinking, God, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to me? And again, it was just praying to God and saying, God, you know, you've had this plan forever. And I don't know it. I don't know all of it. You give me some details and the important parts I know. But I don't know. You know, when you created me, and I don't know when you're going to take me off the earth to do something in heaven. And I was praying yesterday morning and just going, God, 
So if, if you want, I will go to Cornerstone tonight and I will tell these people about the brevity of life and how seriously they need to take it. And, and I pray, God, that you would help me to get this across in all of its power. Somehow, God, would you get this into their hearts? But as I'm praying, that I go, God, but at the same time, it is very possible that you want me in heaven this afternoon. Worshiping you or doing something totally different, like in your plan, it could be that this afternoon is the day when you go, well, no, in my plan, I had you till there and then I was going to shoot you up to heaven. And I go, God, so if that's your plan, so be it. That'd be great. Whatever. It wasn't his plan. And, and so last night I, I went and I shared. But after the message, I go, God, do you want me here still tomorrow morning? Do you want me at Cornerstone? I mean, because because we, we videotaped last night. We could just show the video. You know, everyone's going to get the same message. They'll watch it. They'll get the same message. And maybe you want me somewhere else on this planet. And last night to surrender myself to God again. And it's hard every time. I don't know. It's just my lack of trust sometimes. I go, okay, God. So is there somewhere else on the earth that you want me in the morning other than Cornerstone Church? Other than 830 service, do you want me somewhere else? Because I want to be submitted to that. Show me. Do you want me somewhere else? You want me to drive down to Mexico? You want me to go in the inner city? Where? Because because I'm not sure that your plan is that I preach three services at Cornerstone Simi Valley. Maybe you've got a completely different plan that's going to be much better than mine. What is it, God? I want to be surrendered to it. After 830 service, God, do you want me here at 10? After 10 o'clock service, do you want me here at 11.30? You want me to do this again? I mean, if not, I was back there praying. Oh, God, have someone come up to me. Show me something more important that I'm supposed to do right now. And I'll go and just say, run the video. God, I want to be surrendered to your will, to your plan. That's the way he wants me to live because I'm going, man, I don't know that I have the rest of this day. So if, I'm, if I've got this day, I want to use it for you. And I want you to take this body wherever you want this body to go. I want you to use this mouth, have it say whatever you want it to say. Just take me somewhere. I'm planning on preaching here next weekend. I'm planning. But I want to go through the whole week and go, God, I, man, you, you want me somewhere else? As I plan out my year, it's like, okay, God, would you want me there, 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 whatever, whatever. Take me whatever. Recognize him in everything because verse 16, he says, as it is. He goes, that's how we ought to live, but as it is, the way things are, that's not how we live. As it is, you boast and brag all such boasting is evil. He goes, you don't live life that way. You don't think about his control every moment. You don't think about submitting yourselves to his will. He goes, as it is, you just make plans and you don't even care what God wants. And you make these plans and assume you can carry them out. He goes, that's bragging. That's evil. What does God do to those who are proud? God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. What does pride come before? destruction or a fall he goes don't don't be arrogant don't be arrogant telling your plans to god don't be arrogant saying this is what i'm going to do tomorrow submit yourselves to the will of god and then he closes with this anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins so he goes so to wrap it up anyone in this room then that knows the good that he's supposed to do, like the things that God would want him to do today, and you don't do it, he goes, you're sinning. Because that's serious. You're sinning against God. See, because a lot of times when we think about sin, we think sin is when we do those things that God prohibits. God says, don't do this. I do it anyway. I sinned. And James is making clear, no, no, no. There's also another way to sin. It's the sin of omission. And that's when God says, I want you to do this, and you don't do it. Now, a lot of times we don't think of that as sin. We think of that as optional. You know? 
And God goes, no, no, no. Not only do you, are these things prohibited, but here's where I've called you to walk. Here's what I've called you to do. Here's what I want you to do in 2007. And if there are things you know in your heart based upon the word of God and your conviction you're supposed to do this year and you don't do it, you just sit there and live life as usual, you're in sin. Have you surrendered 2007 to God saying, God, here were my plans, but what do you want? Because these plans really don't matter to me. I want what you want. Have you done that? Are you willing to do whatever God's called you? For some of you, you need to go and reconcile with some people because you recognize you've been slandering them. By not going and reconciling, you're in sin. There are good things that God's called you to do. See, too often in church, it's all about negative, negative, negative. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. When so much of scripture is about pursuing the will of God and doing the things that he made you to do and has called you to do. And he says, if you don't do it, you're in sin. One of the girls that uh, was at the conference um, that I was at in Atlanta, one of the gals that spoke was this girl named Heather Mercer. You guys recognize that name? Heather Mercer. Some of you guys go, ah, it rings a bell. Who is Heather Mercer? Let me tell you her story a little bit and you'll, you'll, you'll start picking up. Heather Mercer, she grew up in Vienna, Virginia, which is a nice little middle-class town, kind of Simi Valley type of place. March of 2001, Heather Mercer decides to go to Afghanistan. Now you remember that name? And she started helping with this organization called Shelter Now, which is a a German-based relief and development organization. She was there to join her friend, Dana Curry. Remember Heather Mercer now? Now more heads are bobbing. Okay, Heather Mercer and, and Dana Curry. So they're there together in March. And you talk about not knowing what tomorrow will bring. August 3rd, 2001 must have been one of the most terrifying days of their lives. As they're serving, the Taliban break in and arrest Heather and Dana because they've been speaking the name of Jesus. And it's illegal in Afghanistan to tell anyone about Jesus. And uh, and they said they had evidence that these two have been talking about Jesus Christ. And so they put them under their arrest. Imagine, just try to picture yourself being 20, whatever they were, 22 years old. And you're in Afghanistan, crammed in a little cell under the rule of the Taliban. And they're saying, you broke their law by talking about Jesus. Can you imagine what you feel in that little cell? No contact with anyone. Can you imagine? That was August 3rd. Remember what happened September 11th that year? And now you're hearing about these attacks on your country. And everything that's going on, and these are the people that are doing it. And you're in this awful cell, in these awful conditions, just going, what are they going to do to me next? Probably another extremely terrifying day would have been October 6th. On October 6th, that's when the Taliban offered to the U.S. October 6th said, hey, we will release Heather Mercer and Dana Curry if you guys stop your attacks. And the U.S. says no deal. What do you feel then? Going, what is going to happen to me today? For months, you've been imprisoned by the Taliban. And you're put under these conditions. And you're just this young gal. Dependent on God. What in the world is going through your mind? And then what goes through your mind on November 15th? When suddenly you hear all sorts of gunshots, all sorts of firing, all sorts of commotion and pounding, the earth shaking. And suddenly some people break into your cell, put you on a plane and fly you to safety in Pakistan. What does it feel when you land and you experience freedom and you see your parents running to you? And you're embracing your parents. Can you imagine the emotions of that moment after all these months of just hell? And going, no way, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. And I'm sitting next to this girl going, man, I haven't experienced a thing in life. What does a girl like that do with the rest of her life? 
write a book about it, retire, have a nice little family. I'll give you one guess of what she's doing. Going back. Going back because she loves the people and wants to care for the people, wants to help the people. Going back to northern Iraq and how intense it was for her to share that and for 150 of the college students at that conference that said, we're going with you. What a rush. And you look at a gal who's gone through all of that and you just think, you are crazy. And I would say that to her too. Heather, you are crazy if there's no resurrection. Yeah, you're absolutely crazy if this is all there is to our existence, what you see. If this earth is all there is, then yeah, you're crazy. But because I believe in the resurrection, I believe in life after death, then I go, you're one of the wisest people on this planet. Because you're giving up the things that you can't hold on to anyways. You're, you're a mist. You're a vapor. And you're gaining an eternal reward that you can't ever lose. You're surrendering yourself to God. And that is the wisest thing you can do. Is surrender yourself to the one that you're going to spend eternity with. Guys, I, I, I bring that up because um, we, we look at that and we just say, wow, that's just a different type of lifestyle. And I go, yeah, but... That's the life, the type of life God's called us to lead. That's the example God, that's God's example. Remember that? It's not, it's not so crazy what Heather's doing. What's crazy is what Jesus Christ did. He left heaven. Heaven. He left that position of complete control. I didn't do it. And, and says, you know what? I'm going to come down and I'm going to make myself a little human being. I'm going to empty myself of everything. I'm going to let all these people that I created, I'm going to let them torture me. I'm going to let them nail me to a cross because I love them so much that I'll let them torture me, nail me to a cross, and on that cross, I'll be paying. I'll actually be suffering and paying for their crimes. The people that are nailing me to the cross, I'm actually doing this for them. That's crazy. That's a love that we can't even understand, that God says, look, I will do that for you. And 1 John 3.16 says that's how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. And then he says, now we in turn should lay down our lives for our brothers, not slander our brothers, not put them down, not try to make other people think less of them, but we are supposed to build them up and lay our lives down for them. That's the example. And that's what Heather's life's about. And I go, you know what? One day we're all going to see the wisdom in what she's done. One day, and for many days, we'll see the wisdom in what what she and many others are doing. And I am not saying that all of us need to pick up tomorrow and head out to the Middle East. Um, I'm just saying we do need to surrender, though, and say, God, if that's where you want me, this life's so short anyways, what a joke. And we need to be eternally minded. And what if, just for one week even, Everyone that left this building was completely surrendered to God and said, wherever, whatever. Here's what I'd like us to do. I want to give you some time to pray and come before God because this is some heavy stuff. Um, It should be easy. I, I keep thinking it'll get easier to surrender to God, but I haven't found out the secret yet. Um. It's, it's difficult each time just to trust again and go, oh, that's right, you're trustworthy. I can release my life. But here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just want you to confess to God, just pray to God, and tell God what you assumed 2007 would look like. Just be honest. Say, God, here's what I had planned for 2007. Just tell God right now.
Just keep praying. And now if you're willing, can you say to God right now, that's what I was planning, but I want to surrender all of that for your will, your plan. I want you to reveal that to me. And if you can't pray that, be honest with God. He knows anyways. Just tell God, God, I'm having a really difficult time surrendering and trusting you with a better plan than what I came up with. Otherwise, just tell him, I do surrender this. Take me wherever you want. Can you just look up for a second? Just look at me for a second. Listen, I know that that's such a short period of time. And we're talking about something so serious. So just surrendering everything. And uh, I realize it's not enough time for some of you. But I wanted you to experience that. And, and be honest about the fight of certain things you really don't want to let go of. And the limitations you put on God and say, okay, your will, anything but, you know, I got to have this, I got to have this, I got to have this. And just to surrender those things. And I pray that this week you really take some time to come before God and surrender this year. And for those of you who who just recognize I'm just not there yet, I, 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 I guess I have not really submitted to his lordship. And you just need some prayer. There'll be some people up here in the prayer room during worship that you can pray with. Maybe some of you today go, you know what? If I were to be completely honest, I think God would want me to get baptized right now. And just publicly confess, look, I'm going to follow him. And I had these plans of going to lunch dry. Um, but you know what? I, I want to start off just surrendering. Go, God, you know what? If that's what you want me to do right now, maybe some of you, you need to leave here and just go talk to someone and get things right. Just to start learning about surrender to God. And if you need some help, I recognize this is not easy. And some of you will need prayer to surrender bitterness, anger. And uh, that's why there'll be people up here to pray with you. Um, But for the rest of us, we're just going to surrender ourselves in a time of worship. But again, if you need prayer, there'll be some pastors and some leaders up here by the prayer room to pray with you during this time of worship.